Welcome to the Waiting for a Sign series podcast, where we dive deeper into the content from Sunday's message. All right, all right. It is good to be back. Welcome to week two of the podcast. And Drew, coming out of Sunday, I know that there's a few things on every single person's mind as they're going to community group this week. We're launching those. That's awesome. People are going to be talking about this sermon, but I think what they're mostly going to be talking about is who is building all of these massive props on the stage. <laughs> this is week two, and both weeks you've had these insanely cool-looking, also science experiment-looking uh, props on the stage. So what's the deal with those? Where are these coming from? Yeah, I mean... I mean, we're blessed as a church to have some some lay leaders, and our, you know, it starts with our worship pastor Nate Bannell. He kind of oversees this. He plays such a vital role in making my messages come alive. And then he gets volunteers, guys like Philomana and Dan Lowid. They spend t- some of their time just building these props to make God's words come alive. And if you've been in this series, man, you've been amazed that filter system was incredible. Was so cool. And the plinko board, you're like, man, where does this stuff come from? And, and let's be honest, these guys are taking our vision, which is really small. Small and crappy. Usually sketched on a post-it note. <laughs> yes, like a drawing of colanders and making something incredible. So yeah. can I just tell those guys, man, thank you so much Absolutely. for what they do. Yeah, we're so thankful for Phil and Dan. And uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that we are giving them nothing to go on. <laughs> and they're producing something really cool. Um, and honestly, I think that Plinko board should just go in the break room at our Rondequake campus and we'll, we'll use it from now on. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's how we're going to find God's will. Like, hey, you got a question, staff <laughs> Question, leadership, you know, our elders are going to use that. So. Yes, oversight team is now going to, that's going to be a fixture in that room. Oh man, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and, and get rolling here. There's a point that you made early in the message that stood out to me and I, I wanted to hear from you about it more. You said that Satan wants us to be confused, directionless, and ineffective. Um, I think that's true. And you made some great points about it on Sunday, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? What is it? What does it look like? Why does he want that? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think this is one of the greatest schemes of our enemy. You know, we think, you know, he's a lion waiting to attack us. And we think a lot of times the enemy is going to bring temptation in our life and he's Mm going to throw like sin stuff at us, which he often does. But I think there's this side of the enemy that he knows when it comes to pleasing God at some level, if you're a Christ follower, you want to pursue God, you right. want to know what He wants. The hard part is figuring out what that is. Yeah. And so His goal is to make that as cloudy and as hazy as possible. Here's why. Because if He can give us this journey, we all feel like, man, I want to pursue God. Good motives, right? So right. I have good motives. I want to know what God wants. But if He can make that fuzzy, He knows I'm going to chase that and I'm going to continue to chase that. Here's the problem for me as a Christian, is I'm chasing a good thing But in that journey, I'm not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And that's where the enemy wins. He's like, man, I got them to chase something that they obviously want, which is a good thing. But as they chase it, I realize, man, I'm winning because they're not telling their neighbor about Jesus because they're so, their mind is so consumed with figuring out what God wants, or it leads to a lack of decision. You know, there's, there's people who are like, I don't know what to do. God hasn't revealed it to me. So I'm just, I'm just going to do nothing. Right. And, and, and again, I'm ineffective for the kingdom of God. And man, what a, what a scheme. It's, it's brilliant, really. <laughs> it truly is. Because like you said, he's preying on a good motive. Yes. It's a good thing resulting in not a bad result. It's a marginal result. Yes. It's just less than it could be. And so we feel comfortable. We feel like we're doing the right thing. How do you feel like 
this this specifically impacts people in like the the high decision phase of life. Let's say like coming out of high school into college, into your 20s and 30s, maybe as people are kind of figuring out who they are and where they're headed. How does this impact that phase in particular? Yeah, I think that phase of life, you're you're asking really one to two questions. Which which education should I go after? Which college should I go to? Or which career should I step into? Two mm-hmm. major life decisions right. that are going to affect your future. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm searching for a college. Uh, I'm searching for a trade school. Or I'm searching for the company to go to yeah. or, or, you know, all these decisions. And in the meantime, you throw in, who am I going to marry? And it just gets real complicated. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, in this time frame, there's a lot of major decisions. And so what often happens for someone in this gap, in this, fr- in this place where I'm trying to make these decisions is I don't know what to do. So I, I'm praying, I'm seeking God and I'm not finding any answers. Right. And so here's what I do is I just wait. Yeah. And in the waiting process, I'm at home with my parents in their basement, just chilling, waiting on God. And what what started as like, okay, I'm gonna give this six months, goes to a year to two years. And again, it goes back to that point. Satan has you chasing a good thing and you're ineffective. And I think for a lot of people, that's where they find themselves, especially millennials. Like I'm a millennial, so I'm not picking on millennials. Yeah. Like this this new phrase is that we get caught in in this in the details of trying to figure out what God wants for us. And God's like, hey, I'm glad you're pursuing me. But in the midst of pursuing me, do things. Yeah. Be, be active in a local church. Serve. And oftentimes you'll realize when you do those things, that's why I love the book, Just Do Something. Right. It kind of talks about this. When you do things, you often find God's will in the midst of doing those things, not sitting around waiting for his will. That's totally true. The perfect in that sense is the enemy of the good, right? Yeah. Where people yes. are waiting for their passion to show up and the exact thing God wants for them uh, instead of, yeah, this might not be the dream job. Yeah, this might not be the, you know, the perfect opportunity or everything, but we just need to be pleasing God with what we know we have and what yes. we can control and allowing that to shape our direction rather than just, you know, sitting around hoping that the perfect opportunity is going to kind of kind of drop in our way. And then as a result of that, you're just in a holding pattern, an unhelpful holding yes. pattern. And I know that people probably feel like, I just wish the Bible would give me more specifics. Mm. So why doesn't the Bible give us more specifics? It sort of seems like if if God was supposed to be giving us a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, sometimes it feels like the lamp's a little dim. Like, yeah. what, what's the deal? Why am I not getting more clarity from the Bible? Yeah, and it's weird because in certain decisions, the Bible is so clear. Like, yeah. it's black and white. And in other decisions, it's not. And that's what's hard to about navigating the Bible in, in discovering God's will is, man, when it comes to, you know, chasing holiness... There's a lot of commands in the Bible that make it clear, like, I obviously shouldn't do this, and God leads me this direction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think of that that verse, Psalms, you know, 118, 119, like the, the light into my path. What's interesting about the Bible is it reveals the path, but sometimes when you walk down a path, the path is narrow, right? Mm-hmm. And so God makes it clear, this is the direction I want to go to. But in most cases, the Bible makes a framework. Here's the path, but I can walk on the right side or the left side of the path. And both are in the will of God. But God, again, we're not robots. God gives us the freedom of choice. It's not always just one specific way or will that God has. The path might be bigger than what you expect it to be. Yeah. And I think that that obviously creates freedom. It creates options, but it still can be frustrating, right? Like, again, if I'm a person in a decision, I'm still like, 
okay, cool. I could choose right or left, but I don't even know if I'm on the thing. Like, why am I not getting more specifics from the Bible? Why is it that the Bible doesn't give me more specific directional marker so that I can know specifically what job I should take. Yeah. And I think, again, that goes back to, to, to week one. We talked about how God's will works, right? And so we have certain things that the, the will of God's decree, things that shall be, things that God has made clear that we can't change. But then there's also God's desires. So things that should be true about us. So directional things that, man, I, I know God desires this for me. But then you get to the place where it's God's direction. And Man, inside of those decrees and in those boundaries, God doesn't necessarily say, choose this or choose that. Remember, we talked about God's word is a a user manual, or maybe a better word is a map, Mm. where he creates a baseline, a framework, guardrails that we can follow. And yes, it might feel frustrating. At some point, you just want to be like, God, tell me what to do. Right. But God is not interested in creating robots. Mm-hmm. You know, God, you know, maybe you're here and you're trying to discover who God is. You're listening to this. God doesn't want you to be a robot. I mean, I think there's certain decisions in life. God wants you on autopilot where you just always choose the right thing because God has commanded you to do that. But there's certain things in life where God has given you the freedom, the ability to choose within the path or the framework of his word. I, I love that. I, I think there's a brilliance to it too, where if God had decided to reveal himself in a very programmatic and ex- culturally specific way, then the Bible wouldn't translate or transcend culture and time right, right. where it does. Like you can go to different cultures and times. If you had a time machine, you could go back to, to in history to different cultures. You, you can't immediately identify a Christian on site. Yeah. You know, you can't look at a person and know, oh, that's a Christian based on these two rules that they all have to follow. So they look all the same or something. You know, there's a cultural transcendence that the Bible allows for and in its silence even encourages yes. that freedom. And so that uh, uh, the Bible has been able to, by God's sovereign plan, transcend time and cultures and and cultural moments to the place that people genuinely can find it applicable in any circumstance. And that's part of the brilliance of it. Yes. Its silence is actually helpful. Yes. <laughs> it, it's crazy how that works. And it goes back to those two essentials. Knowing God, you can do that in any culture, mm-hmm. any time frame, and you can look like God or be like Him. And it's the brilliance of like, man, that does transcend all cultures, all time frames. And you can go back and be like, man, that, I, I recognize that person follows God because they, they know God, they have a knowledge of Him, and they're, they're acting like God. And wisdom looks different in every culture. So what might be wise in one place wouldn't be wise in another. Yes. And so God, in leaving that door open, has actually created the brilliant cross-generational, cross-cultural movement, and that's, that's so helpful. Um, though frustrating at times, I know when I'm, I'm insanely indecisive, so I would love, you know, a sign in the sky, and, um, but there, there is a brilliance behind that that we have to trust God for. Um, a, a kind of a final question is, we, we sort of see how more obvious biblical principles play out in our lives, whatever, you know, chase holiness, that means I can't steal or whatever, you know, that, yeah. that seems clear. Where are less obvious biblical principles at play in your life? Like, as you've come to understand God's word and who he is better over time, how has that nuanced decisions that you make that might not be they are black and white to you because of how you understand God, but they wouldn't be obviously black and white to somebody else. 
Yeah, I think one of those areas uh, based off Sunday is the the idea of justice, right? Mm. We, we know God is justice, or maybe another way of putting that is God is good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes to God being just, I think that should play out in my life in, in many ways. Um, the obvious way is like, man, do I promote the welfare of others? Like, man, my family, the people around me. But I also think there's there's an element of God's justice that when we think of how we look at people and how we interact with people, um, you know, social justice that I should be aware of. And God in His Word doesn't necessarily come out and say, hey, here's how you interact with other races. Here's how justice plays out in, in how you vote politically, how you handle certain things. But as you begin to understand the heart of God and how God loves all people and he treats people with in, with equality, like that should transcend my view of people, the way I do business, the the candidates I vote for, the the people I, I, I choose to hang around. And I think, you know, when you think of God as justice, you think, man, God is just, he loves justice. But how that plays out, I think, begins to grow as the more you discover about God and what mm-hmm. he values and the things he's passionate about. Yeah, there's, I, you know, man, so much that, especially for me over the last couple of years, I, that this exact example you've used has played out in my life where I think I would see at one point in my life as all individual-based things. Like, yes, God is just, so I need to be individually just. But yes. as I've begun to understand more about who God is, it has set me up to see that God doesn't just value justice in my actions, but societally he values yes. justice. And I want to promote justice no matter the context. And that even if I want to represent God well, then I feel an obligation to see justice societally, that kind of a thing. So that's so tough because that becomes so complex to apply because everyone's going to think that we approach justice differently. Yes. And maybe not, wouldn't even define justice the same way. But as Christ followers, what I think it's important is that it's not like a sideline issue. Just because there isn't a verse that says, you know, children obey your parents, thou shalt not be a racist. Like, right. <laughs> there aren't, there's, it's not quite that clear, but it doesn't make it any less a biblical theme or less important for us to understand as we try to reflect God. And I think one clarification we need to make is because God is just, I have to love justice. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, I I, I don't get to choose that because that's who God is. And if I really want to serve God and know God and be like God, I have to love justice. But what's interesting is in the framework of that truth, God gives us the ability not to ignore justice, but how we go about handling justice and talking about these things. God has given us a little bit of freedom too, but I can't sit on the sidelines of justice because God is just. Right. So I, I know who he is, I should be like him, but then... That's the framework, but God has also given us the freedom to say, here, here's how I'm going to approach this. You know, I think of adoption. Ashley and I are really a passionate about adoption. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Bible is clear that we have to love the orphan. So God is love. And one of the things God loves, he makes clear in his word, is God loves the orphan. Yeah, for people Ashley, who are without any recourse, people that are defenseless. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And for Ashley and I, and this might not be true about everybody, but that framework put a passion in our heart to say, hey... I want to adopt. Now, God says, I need to love the orphan. He doesn't say, I have to adopt. So right. like, I, you could great. easily make a, a point like, well, everybody needs to adopt. No, God created the framework of love freely, love the orphan, but you can support a kid from Compassion International and care 
for the orphan, care for the person who's neglected. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to China and adopt like we did. Mm -hmm. God creates a framework, but he gives us the freedom in that framework to chase down his will as it pertains to our circumstances and our situations and where he leads us. And here's the brilliant thing about that plan is if God just told us all to adopt, like we would all, you know, go to China, we bring a kid home, we go to different places, bring home kids home. And the journey is hard with adoption. That's one thing Ashley and I are facing is this is difficult. And we would all be struggling without any people to help us because we'd all be in the adoption process. But here's the brilliance about God's plan is he created a framework to love the orphan. And inside of that, God called me to adopt, but he called maybe you, Aaron, to support a family who's adopted. Mm. And so it's a, it's a perfect process and a perfect plan that, man, as I struggle, God's called you to come alongside me and say, hey, let me help you in the journey. Let me babysit the kids. You go on a break. You know, and it's amazing how God created a framework for us where we know what we have to do, but there's freedom for our passions and our gift mix to align, to fill all the gaps that God knew would be there. So good. Thank you. That, I, that helps me think through this issue. And, and I love that how God has revealed himself in the framework of, of what you just described. We can look back over generations of Christianity across cultures and see that, you know, the church gets a bad rap and sometimes for good reason. But you can also see that while the Bible does not command adoption, Christians have been known as people who care for orphans yes. and have promoted adoption over many, many years and across cultures. And that's a good indicator of like that many people have seen this theme throughout God's word, how he revealed himself, what, what he has revealed are his priorities. And Christians have caught on to that. And while he didn't write a verse that said, thou shalt adopt, people have caught on to it. They've made it clear. And we have collectively revealed more of who God is by our actions right. in the world through something like adoption. And man, what a, I just think that that's so helpful. And your sermon brought up a lot of those kinds of things. I'm looking forward in my own group to being able to talk about this more. And I've got questions that I want to run by you right now, <laughs> but I probably won't because we'll have a counseling room someday where you can give me advice. But I know that people can <laughs> ask questions um, and, and even have you answer them specifically, not yeah. just big picture, but even their specific life situation. So we, we've got a phone number that you can call and you can leave us a voicemail. And if you do that, uh, we're actually hoping to spend the last episode of this podcast just specifically answering maybe a life direction question from our listeners at our church. Um, so we would love to be able to hear from you. You can call this number 585-484-7636. 585-484-7636. And you'll get specific answers from yeah, Drew and, himself. And on that note, like this is a great way to take what we talked about in week one and apply it to your life. Mm. So man, you got a life decision. It doesn't have to be a huge decision. We're not saying, hey man, only ask really vital decisions. Mm -hmm. In every decision, this is a great way to apply week one. You need filter, the filter of people. God uses people to discover his will. Here's a great and easy way to say, man, hey, I got a decision to make. What do you think? You don't have to do what we say. We're not saying we're, we know all the answers. We don't. Let's be honest, Aaron. We, we struggle sure. with the same things. Like mm -hmm. I, I have, I, I struggle making decisions and knowing what God wants for my life. And that's why I have people like you around me say, hey, Aaron, what do you think about this? And mm -hmm. we want to serve that role for you. If it's benefit, beneficial for you. you, you don't have to do what we say, but mm -hmm. we would love to serve as that filter, maybe catch some obvious things or maybe offer some wisdom or maybe some fit stuff. So man, send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, Drew, for all of these insights. Looking forward to continuing in this series and uh, lots more to come. So we'll keep learning together.